0: Welcome back to another episode of Sketch Nerds, where we break down sketch comedy. What works, what doesn't work, what we like, what we don't like, and why. Today, we're going to be discussing sketches from Monty Python's Flying Circus and Mitchell and Webb. You can find information about this podcast, as well as the sketches we are going to be discussing, at badmedicinecomedy.com slash sketchnerds. Joining me as always are Seth Alcorn, hi, Julian Morgan, Hoo-yah! and Elizabeth EK Kemp. Hi. I'm Andy Weld, and today we are happy to have on as a guest Sean Westfall. Hello. Sean, hi. how are
1: you? I'm doing well. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me on this uh, terrific podcast. Oh,
0: thank you so much. We're happy to have you on. Mm-hmm. Now, Sean, can you tell us about your background in comedy? Oh,
1: psh- sure. Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, I've been – I'll try to thumbnail this as best I can. I've been doing – I've been performing improv for 20, 24 years, approximately 24 years, 22, 23, 24. I hate to do the math on that. Um, uh, started out in Hawaii, uh, lived in Texas, did, did improv there, came to D.C. about uh, 18 years ago, got involved in the improv scene here, comedy sports, et cetera, Um, after doing it for about seven years, I thought, you know, I think I could teach this Uh, had some, had some years and performances under my belt. So, uh, I approached the DC improv in May of 2003 and said, you should, it says improv in your brand and you don't have an improv class. You should have one at the very least, or have a class of some sort, because at the time they had no classes whatsoever. And so after some hemming and hawing, they said, okay, sure, we'll do it. So I began teaching there at the DC improv and Spent uh, 14 15 years teaching there, and for, for like 12 or 13 of those years, I was the exclusive teacher of improv. Not in sort of did any, you
0: teach multiple levels? Yeah, at I, time? yeah, yeah, again,
1: if I was the only one there. So, if you <laughs> we, that's a good thing or a bad thing, depending on your perspective, but right. if you took a class in improv, whether it's open, beginning improv. Uh, advanced Improv, The Herald, as we like to say in improv parlance, um, I taught that. Um, I also, um, one of the first things I did, even before that, what, and that's sort of how I got to the improv. Practice. Uh, Sorry. Pra- practice. <laughs> <laughs> how do you get to the improv? Practice, practice, <laughs> practice. That's sort of like how my path led to teaching at the improv. I formed, a, I cherry-picked some people out of this comedy sports troupe that I was in here in D.C., uh, much to the chagrin of the creative director there, <laughs> and we started a sketch comedy troupe and we began writing sketches and practicing everything this is the same thing that you guys at Bad Medicine go through uh, to include all the interpersonal dynamics and and passive aggressiveness and all all that wonderful stuff that happens in the writers room it's the natural <laughs> and, part of the process exactly <laughs> right right and we mounted a show and we were at the DCAC. we were we were um, at the Old Town Theater that big huge cavernous theater that used to have live performances but it doesn't anymore and that's how I got to the improv because the person who was uh, putting up shows, who was doing the content there at the Old Town Theater, the Improv owned that theater mm-hmm. or was managing that theater at the time. That's how I met the manager of the of the Improv, who I approached later after we sort of our sketch comedy troupe uh, <laughs> collapsed. Yeah, <laughs> after that, uh, what one year, one and a half, two year run we had. So,
0: and now you own your own theater as well. That's right. Uh, thank you for reminding me. <laughs> <It's>
1: <laughs> I wish I could forget that fact, uh, but yeah, uh, left the Improv about uh, four years ago. Uh, primarily to start a consultancy in which I would go on site to organizations and use the principles of improv to teach them to be more collaborative, creative, that kind of thing. I won't bore you with that. Um, but it's something that I've been doing along the along the way of teaching improv at the DC Improv, and uh, uh, st- thought that's all I was going to do for the next couple of years is sort of build that practice. I had no intention of being, you know, being a, a theater owner or a theater operator or an artistic director. And you know, God help me. That's what I. That's what happened. Uh, we, I, we're walking past uh, the space in that neighborhood where we are now, and my wife said, "Oh, that space is for lease. You should put an improv theater there." And I go, "No." And she <laughs> said, "Yes." Yeah. So she, so she t- talked me into it. So that's what I'm doing now. That's my day job as the consultancy, and the night job is the theater. Although the night job is actually. Taking over more real estate in my life than the day job. So. <laughs> yeah.
2: You you also do work with the veteran community and bring right. comedy to that. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. Thank you. <laughs> I'm glad you guys have read this stuff I <laughs> seem to have forgotten we it. We got so. a
3: copy of your CV. So we I all memorized could, it.
1: Uh, could <laughs> you send me a copy? Because I'm sure. Be uh, um, yeah, uh, over the past couple years, I'm, I'm also a, a military veteran and uh, not only a, a veteran, uh, uh, active duty military veteran. But uh, I spent 12 years as a military dependent, sort of following my ex-wife around as she pursued her career. So, the issues that are you know pretty f- top of mind for veterans are as well important to me. The things that, the, the things that they didn't ha- that I didn't have when I was being pushed around various bases. Uh, there's an organization that actually provides some of those things now. There's an organization called ASAP, which stands for Armed Services Arts Partnership, and they provide classes. For, in stand-up comedy, improv comedy, uh, 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 writing classes, performance classes, singing, music, uh, arts, painting, you name it. Uh, free of charge to veterans and their uh, families and, and ac- even active duty military. So, so yeah. So, I do that. Thank you, EK, for pointing <laughs> yeah, that out. Even, <laughs> reminding even like me
4: that. We actually teach a class at your theater, uh, sketch writing class. That's, and, right. That's and, right. And, and uh, one of your students happened to be – I actually – Every class we taught there, one of your students has come from right. that program right right and It's right. always interesting to talk to them and 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 hear like how they this is just like a like an outlet for them that they otherwise wouldn't have or wouldn't have the courage to do or like wouldn't have be like yeah, didn't know it was accessible I, I,
1: I you know and that that's the thing like I, I would have loved to have had an opportunity to do self like this in the various you know obscure off <laughs> off the map yeah. bases that I was stationed at. There was no community like this, and again, this organization is situated in a large metropolitan area so that it has that advantage in which there's a large military presence. But I mean, even sort of like, you know, the opportunity to even in Hawaii, it would have been nice to have something like that. There was nothing like that. I had to go sort of like seek it out. So yeah,
0: um, yeah, I'm pretty proud of that connection. Introducing our first sketch today. It's Sean. Thank you, Andy.
1: Um, the the sketch I chose is uh, one of my favorites. Uh, I uh, first saw it when I was a kid. I think like everybody first saw it when they were a kid. Yeah. Um, th- thank you, Seth. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's it's it, it's it's not it's not a sketch. It's more of like a short film, like a, like a what we would now call a digital short. Uh, but of course, it was filmed back then. Um, it's called Upper Class Twit of the Year, and it's uh, Monty, one of Monty Python's uh, uh, most popular sketches. I'm almost certain it ended up in two, places it ended up in in an episode of the series and i can't, can't remember which season either season one or season two i can't remember but it also ended up in one of the movies that they did and and, and, and now for something completely different right. that's the sketch i'm bringing to this table here so
0: well here's a clip
3: and it looks as though we're in for a splendid afternoon sport on this, the 127th upper-class Twit of the Year show. And there's a big crowd here today to see these prize idiots in action. Vivian Smith my Smith. He's in the Grenadier Guards, and he can count up to four. Simon Zink Trumpet Harris. He's an old Italian and married to a very attractive table lamp. Nigel Incubator Jones, his best friend as a tree, and in his spare time, he's a stockbroker. Gervais Brook Hamster. He's in the wine trade, and his father uses him as a waste paper basket. And for Finally, Oliver Sinjin Mollusk, another old Etonian. His father was a cabinet minister, and his mother won the Derby. And he's thought by many to be this year's outstanding twit.
0: All right, Sean, Mm -hmm. why did you bring upper class twit of the year today?
1: Um, I brought it because, of course, for sentimental reasons. It's it's sort of you know, I I sort of happened upon um, uh, Monty Python and Saturday Night Saturday Night Live almost at the same time in life. I was you know Mm -hmm. I I was 11 years old when the first season of SNL happened, and and for some inexplicable reason my parents were too drunk or something like to notice what was going on but i was able to stay up uh, every saturday night and watch the, from the first season on those first six seasons and at the same time uh, uh pbs had been picking up as uh, which is you know, everybody's sort of foray into british comedy pbs had been picking up bbc shows including uh, monty python's flying circus and when i saw that sh- that uh, i picked that clip because for those sentimental reasons it sort of takes me back to my own, uh, uh nascent, uh, comedic origins. But I also picked it because it combines three things and it, So well, which and and does it so wonderfully that there's no way this sketch could could miss. Even if it took out one of those three things, it would still be a fantastic sketch. And it has a physical comedy. You have these sort of yep. you know yep. <laughs> these <laughs> all the, the the cast members are running around in tweed and on their, their you know their their teeth are jutted out in sort of exaggerated uh, British upper class way. So then it's like like moving around in in awkward ways. It combines the verbal cleverness that that Monty Python is known known for the sort of brilliant, uh, writing that sort of comes out. And I think combines four things that two of which I think the British comedy does really well. So I mentioned the physical has this sort of language aspect, the absurd language, use of language that, that, that's it's apparent. It's a parody, right? It's a parody of a sports competition, which you, you can't miss. And also it's, it has that sort of surrealist, absurd thing going on. There are Things that obviously happen in that sketch that that in the you know again don't make much sense, uh, but given how they've constructed it, directed it, written it, you suspend disbelief and go along with that sketch. you really have yeah, a good time. Uh,
4: and, so, and so what, one one thing that that kind of uh, piqued my interest about this sketch and um, also the sketch that we're going to talk about later is that like um, in traditional game show sketches, mm-hmm. either the 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 show itself is crazy, right? And the contestants are the straight man, right? And uh and or the contestants are crazy and the show is the straight man. Right. Where this one, both the contestants and the host are on board with what's going on. Right. The world is what's crazy. Right, 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 right. And so they do a a really great job of illustrating that. Where like they have the huge crowds, the shots of the huge crowds that are like cheering on this this really crazy thing. Right, right. And so, like, well, it's
1: they, they do that sort of Monty Python-esque trope where they cut away real quick to what's <laughs> obviously vintage stock. Yeah, footage. yeah, yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah and they yeah, cut yeah, back, yeah, right? Yeah, right, yeah.
4: right. Yeah. So, like, the, the world itself, like, the, like this whole thing is acceptable in the world, mm-hmm. and that, as like as people that are watching it from like a uh, basically the audience is the straight man. Right. And so, like, uh, that's really fun to play with, where you can like mess with the audience.
0: Right. 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 One of the things that I think is so great in this sketch, is right at the get-go, is the just the silly names. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that Monty Python did so well. Right. And you have that in, in a new number of exge- sketches. EK, what made Monty Python so good at? Like, is there something about the fake names that they use that are just that work so well? Is there something that's more just about creating names? Why well, I, do we get so much joy out of silly names?
2: Well, I think it's the same reason you there is there is more humor in specific details about things. And British names in particular tend to just be ridiculous on their face in a lot of ways. And it doesn't seem to me, and especially once you get into those kind of upper crust names, like my always like go-to like kind of parody upper crust English name is like, like Nigel Postlethwaite or something like that. Like <laughs> yeah. it's it's almost it's almost kind of like that street name generator for American suburbs. like, mm. oh, you live on Evergreen Terrace or whatever. You know, it's you just have these very common core elements. I sound like I'm teaching math to seven graders, um, <laughs> but you have those common elements where you can just put you can slot them in in a sketch like that. And you immediately are it's it's uh, it's almost as important as like costume or physicality, like you are infusing those characters with characteristics of a class, a you know, a particular, essentially yeah. it's an illusion. You're, you're communicating yeah. a tremendous you're, amount of information. You're basically just with that doing
4: name. the work for the audience where like, yeah. you're just, you're immediately giving them an identity. Mm-hmm. And then, so like in one part they say like, um, oh, this is, this, this is, uh, like Nigel. Smith Pennyworth. Smith. Yeah. 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 Uh, his father uses him as an ashtray. Yeah. <laughs> like that's, that's funny because right. like, boom, he like, you like, like as an audience member, you recognize that that's a, a person of, extreme wealth and then then you undercut that with his father uses as an ashtray
1: you, you, you know one of the things that that the pythons do is they actually play with that trope of names in later sketches like i think in the sketch the institute for silly walks there's sort of like a pre interview where 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 one character I think it's Cleese who says so Mr. Luxury Yacht and then, <laughs> and then uh, I forget it's a, a it's uh, Gra- Chapman. Gra- Gra- Graham Chapman mm-hmm. says oh it's spe- I know it's spelled <laughs> it's spelled Luxury Yacht but it's pronounced Throat Wobbler Mangrove right <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, so even they're playing yeah. with, with that kind of stuff my as well,
3: uh, my one of my professors was fond of telling uh, a story about a young woman in one of his classes whose name was spelt Featherstone Haw but pronounced Shaw. Yeah. So this is actually a thing that
4: happens. Yeah. yeah. The,
1: the 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 English department at University of Maryland, it's it's spelled Talifero. T A L I E F F E R O. It's
0: pronounced Talifer.
3: Good luck with that.
0: Thank yeah. you. Yeah.
3: Welcome to the English language.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> Seth, what does John Cleese's horse racer announcer add to the sketch? Why like the specific choices, the way he presents that announcer? Mm-hmm. How does that shape the sketch?
3: Well, it gives us a sense of urgency that is not, in fact, there in the physical um, performances in the sketch. Everybody, as we've sort of of mentioned, is walking around very stiltedly, very awkwardly. Uh, They're going quickly, as far as one can go quickly when walking around like that, but they're not zooming. And John Cleese is very much, oh, and he's done this, and he's done that, and he's done that! So there's this, like, it's a typical sport. Announcer, right? There's a sense of excitement. There's a sense of tension and urgency, and all they're doing is tripping over three matchboxes that are stacked up uh, shortwise.
4: Yeah, and also like the the uh, the contestants aren't really actively participating. They're not really cognizant of it, right? Mm -hmm. No. Whereas the host or the announcer is like sort of putting the pressure on them, like, as if if this is, like, a straight-up, like, Olympic sport. Right, exactly. See,
2: see, I read that, actually, to your point about, like, creating a whole world where all of what's happening is totally normal, is that the way they were handling those competitions, like, you know, not facing the right direction, or that they were veering wildly off course, like, the way John Cleese's narrator was handling that was just, it was like, that was totally normal and expected behavior, and that's just how those events go, and so there wasn't anything different about how this particular execution or addition of this competition was was going.
0: On this idea that you mentioned here that maybe some people don't seem quite aware of what's going on. One of the things that I thought was a little frustrating about this sketch is mm-hmm. I didn't think the upper classness was worked in enough. Mm-hmm. There are a couple of things that seem class relevant. You get the names. You get a couple of the events it oftentimes to me felt and i think this is the kind of thing where you when you're watching something 50 years on now mm-hmm. it comes out it it almost seemed like they're make it almost felt more like they're making fun of handicapped people but you're you couch it in this their upper class thing and that's the whole monty python thing it's the raging against class and it seemed almost like it was punching it's a way to act like you're punching up but in reality, you were punching down. Hmm. I don't know how you all felt about that.
3: Well, I I think it's because it is fifty years on and sensibilities have changed. But the point is that these people are too inbred. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Too, yeah. 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 yeah, 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 yeah. But we would recognize that today. We would recognize uh, folks with those sort of genetic abnormalities as probably being disabled, and we wouldn't do this sketch as that. I, I think what they've tried to do is they've tried to show that these are uh these are all uh, these are all white men upper class white men uh seemingly hale uh of body but with something wrong with their minds and I, I think that again to do that sketch as written today uh with that same sort of understood issue the same sort of understood inbreeding issue might might not work as well as it did then but yep. how
2: is this any really I mean it's fewer characters, obviously, but how is this different then from say like the air the Trump brothers on Saturday Night Live? Oh. Where you I have the that. one brother who's kind of like caring and he's a little more with it. Um, and then you have the other brother, Eric, I think it is, and the who's kind of like just you know, fascinated by like a container of Play-Doh and he doesn't even know that he's supposed to play with the Play-Doh. And it's it's very much like he's presented as a deeply, um, <laughs> what's, what's, what's the right word here? Like he has just been sort of like, he is trapped as like the mind of a four-year-old or something like that. And his brother is sort of helping him through. But it's very, much like you could make the same case for that sketch, but I think there's, because diminutive? you are, what?
4: Diminutive? Is that racist? No. no, diminutive. No. That, means no. Small? that just means no. small. Is that racist?
2: Um. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
3: probably not.
2: Okay. No, but it's the same. It's the same kind of thing in my mind, where because it's made clear that like this is the president's son, they are in this posi- this incredible position of power and influence, but they're also clearly inept and silly and kind of. I feel comfortable saying stupid for the most part is that to me is not that much different.
3: That's what I was kind of, sorry, go ahead. Oh, uh, just really quickly. I think it's because for the British upper classes, it would definitely be, it would definitely be an inbreeding thing for Trump and his family. It's just that these are people who have failed upward to the highest possible extent. And we like never bothered to learn or care about anything except money.
2: But isn't that kind of the American equivalent of like British aristocracy, like the? Yeah, but it lacks, I think, the natural,
3: the genetic component
2: that we might get in Britain. Mm
3: -hmm. I don't know. Yeah, Sean, what do you think?
1: Um, I I I think that that we start suspending disbelief and not having. Uh, uh, understanding the, the absurdity of these characters and the way they act, when we hear things like the, the introductions, like um, uh, his 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 father was a prime minister and his mother won the Derby, yeah. right? Right. So you're crazy. in. Yeah. yeah. Plus, I mean, yeah. it's it's difficult to see to think of this as punching down when you see the one of the competitions is kicking the beggar. This has to kick the beggar, yeah. kick the true. beggar, right? Yeah. And, and then they have to go on the hunt, right? And the rabbits yep. are staked down right. right uh in this rather cruel fashion right well, right so so hitting I, the old lady yeah uh, mm-hmm. yeah I, I think that anyone who ended up suffering under uh thatcherism in the in the, in the late 70s early 80s would have no problem uh, uh uh-huh. punching down or punching at uh, up at uh the, the upper cast of the way there's yeah Act. so right. I'll, that, yeah. That,
4: that, i i really thought the same thing too I'm, I'm still kind of wrestling with it because like i don't know too much about british aristocracy to like get mm. the events right um so that, so i was really looking at the events and um at the time, I'm sure they were playing it up. Right. Uh, but, like, nowadays, I'm not sure how that— like, So, like, when they jumped over the cigarettes, I assume those were, mm-hmm. like, high-brand, like, cigarettes that the normal people can't get, or— uh, I, I think they're just there to show pass. the simple— oh, yeah, yeah. The,
0: the, 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 These
1: these, these poor sots are completely inept. Uh, yeah. not, and, and, again, I think what you can actually parse the competition by showing how they're inept physically— they're not self-aware. They slam doors in the in the middle of the morning. Oh, They're, yeah, they they yeah. punch. They they treat their fellow humans like horrifically. They're misogynistic. They're taking the taking the, off, the off off the debutante, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, um, and again, I think you could those things can circle around and look act as a criticism and indictment of the entire British upper caste in, in, in one fell swoop. Yeah, well,
0: I, I even so a yeah, yeah. yeah, I didn't think about that. It cuts a wide swath of that. I didn't think about that. And yeah. now. Is there anything that you would want to change in this sketch, Sean? Anything you'd do differently? Um...
1: No, in fact, what I uh, th- there's one moment in in the sketch that I don't know how they timed it and on uh, the editing it's a it's a masterclass in comedic uh, uh, film narrative editing because I don't know how they t- the timing is impeccable where you hear it's it doesn't happen simultaneously but you hear uh, I, I forget one of the characters I'm going to make up the character's name but you hear John Cleese go and Hodgkins has run over himself he's yeah. run over yeah. and yeah. that
4: cut <laughs> yes is perfect, perfect. In, yeah. You, perfect I, yeah and
1: I, I I don't know if it happened by Accident, but you do. But it's you hear him say it, and then like it happens, and so it it would have lost its impact if they'd actually timed it a little. Yeah, either shown shown that if they'd shown it, it would have you know it wouldn't have been that funny. But but the way it sort of happened, I mean, I just i there's very little I would change. In fact, I would I would throw that out as a an object lesson in how to edit narrative comedy.
4: Yeah, the
1: only person I think who comes close to editing comedy as well as in that sketch, John Landis. John Landis Mm. is a master at that. His cuts are brilliant; they're perfect. I don't know how he does it. So,
0: yeah.
3: (laughs) Is there anything else that anyone would want to change in this sketch? Oh, uh, I'm gonna have to go with Sean and say no. (laughs) I I, I can't think of anything that would improve this sketch.
2: I I think you could cut maybe one of the events, like maybe the maybe the bra thing, right? Um, Just to shorten it up a little bit. That's the only one for me that strays a little bit from being obviously a critique of, of that group but no otherwise
1: I I don't I'm not as fond as the ending of the ending as I used to be mm, I no. don't I mean we, here's the thing we all saw them die yeah. so yeah. why do we have to see three coffins on a on a, on a what's a, a dais of some sort right, that, yeah. that was
4: actually my, one of my favorite parts <laughs> <laughs> so tell me what I'm
1: missing there. Tell me what uh, I'm
4: because, mis- because like um, it just shows like how little like the uh, upper class really care about their sort of right with, I, I want to say Pierce? brethren, but I know it's not the
2: peers they're beget
4: their begettings they're they begettings. Oh, their children, they're children? <laughs> no I prefer begettings okay <laughs> okay. 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 okay but um because that's how because that's how you treat them it's like there's like it's just like that's how like how little they care about how first of all how little the aristocracy cares mm-hmm. how little society cares
2: mm-hmm.
4: having three coffins <laughs> I think was
2: fucking funny so right. so in your mind there's like the the father figure like back at the estate and he receives news they're like oh gerald's died in the competition today right. and, well that's unfortunate <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I, but guess, he I guess i guess the lands will go to our second son what's his name again oh yeah. yes well, <laughs> maybe on,
4: <laughs> maybe sirs <laughs> jendrick will win the cup right. next year
0: i Very think enough. the right. the one way i would have changed that last beat is to have the one of the guys what he Kills himself, he's hitting himself with the gun. Right. And so like that would probably not kill yourself if you're hitting yourself with it. Yeah. Is to have him in second place. So you have a coffin in first, a guy just standing there looking confused. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Coffin in I third. think it's a great way. Yeah, yeah, That's that, a that, great get a, yeah. Better, yeah. a better yeah. picture to end this yeah. sketch. <laughs> <laughs>
2: This podcast is brought to you by the sketch comedy troupe Bad Medicine, DC's best sketch comedy about the worst of humanity. Visit badmedicinecomedy.com for information about live shows, workshops, and t shirts for people who love comedy.
0: Alrighty, the second sketch today will be brought to us by me, Andy. That's a weird way to say my name.
4: Andy. Uh, no, but that's, that's how we all say it in our minds. Andy. 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 Uh, yeah. you're, 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 you're like an anime character. That's you're like a kawaii yeah. anime character. That's exactly what I am.
0: <laughs> today's. Sorry. Coked
2: out eyes. <laughs>
0: <me>. <laughs> today's sketch. No, uh, to the sketch that I'm bringing is Number Wang from that Mitchell and Webb look. That Michelin Webb look was a uh, British uh, sketch show that was on in the mid-2000s, starring David Mitchell and Robert Webb of Peep Show fame. They were also on a show called Bruiser together with um, Martin Freeman was in that show, as was Olivia Coleman, who was in the Michelin Webb look. Olivia Coleman has gone on to become quite a popular British actress, uh, dramatic actress. They also, like As I said, they, ma- they made Peep Show. They both now do a lot of their own stuff. They're on panel shows all the time over there, David Mitchell especially. Uh, Number Wang is a sketch that appeared, it was a recurring sketch that first appeared in the first episode of the first season of That Mitchell and Webb Look. And it is a parody of a game show. Our contestants today are Julie from Somerset
1: and Simon, who is from Somerset. So, before we begin, Julie, any hobbies down there in Somerset? Yes. Simon? No. Great, okay. Well, if you're ready, let's play Number Wang.
4: Julie to play first. Three. Nine. 16.
3: 12. 8.2. Four. That's Number Wang. Round two. Simon to play first. 27. 30. Oh, uh, 18. 54. That's Number Wang. Let's go to the maths board, Julie. Uh, I have the full... If I may, Andy, why did you bring us that sketch today? Wow. I don't know how to respond to a question I
0: normally ask. <laughs> so I, Amy, you know...
4: Why did you do this to us? <laughs>
0: <laughs> One of the first sketches we talked about on this show was a sketch that I brought from that Michelin Web look, Are We the Baddies? Also from the first episode of um, this show. I love Mitchell and Webb. They're probably my favorite sketch comedians. Um, I think they're very smart and very silly. And that's exactly what I'm looking for in sketch comedy. This one in particular is great because it displays how the power of randomness in comedy and the power of kind of absurdity to the nth degree, breaking down all of your conceptions of a topic and just – it's almost like the equivalent of if they were all just like the parents on Charlie Brown. It's all just right. kind of like they're doing a game show of going wah, 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 mm-hmm. wah, 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 It's just going through the motions of the game show. And that's one of the reasons I find it so – interesting sean this sketch there's a lot of randomness in it is there more than randomness going on is there another level to it or what do you think
1: no i think that there's the precise amount of randomness to it even though it's we can we can describe it as focused randomness right? right because it's uh um uh, like in the first part of the sketch, they're just saying numbers back and forth. And then you go, oh, okay, I think I've got this figured out. And, they, and then they go for the second part, right, where they say numbers and the different different numbers yeah, flash and on the light board. Yeah, light up on the <laughs> board. <Yeah. and> <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. So it just takes that sort of absurdity and randomness uh-huh. to uh, uh, the, the, the heightening as we are wont to do in sketch, in sketch writing and sketch comedy. So
3: There are rules to the game to which we are not privy. Uh, and that's one of the that's one of the better jokes when uh, Webb's up there and he's like, "Oh, very good! It avoided the decimal on that one." Uh, <laughs> we're like, "Okay, it's important to avoid decimals." Uh, what
4: uh, what is but happening? Only in this situation because other times they said decimal. Yeah. yeah, it's okay. In a uh, a lot of um, sketch writing classes, when when they teach formats and they teach game show, a lot of them teach they they always show Mitchell and the mm-hmm. um, number Wang as. Uh, an example of a sketch show, like a game show sketch, which I think is I think is a disservice, but also fucking amazing because it breaks all the rules of a uh, of a. Uh, it's, it's basically a parody of a game show sketch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. How, yeah. how does it That's break it.
2: the rules though? Because actually, like what what I love about the sketch is that actually you and I mean, really good absurdist sketches in general is that you have you present a familiar structure, which they have with the game show format. There's the first round, the second round, the third round. And they're choosing a very deliberate, isolated, focused thing to say. We are going to throw out whatever you expected and just do this. So there's still like there's still rules.
4: Yeah, the, 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 like, there's rules, but like Seth said, that we don't know what they are. And like just just like the sketch we talked about before, in traditional sketch shows, either the host or the game show is 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 the unusual thing, and the uh, contestants are the straight man, or vice versa in this one, it's like the entire world, even the audience, when they do their sign off, they're like, all right guys, you have a number wang of a day, or something like that, you have a number wang of a day. Like Everyone else is on board with what's going on, everyone else knows what's going on, mm-hmm. but, except for us, which makes it funny. Right, right. we're we're the straight men in this.
2: No, yeah. I know, I, my point was that we still know it's a game show, like oh, they haven't yeah. completely thrown everything out, just purely from a structural oh, standpoint, yeah. right. it yeah. still tracks something we know.
4: Even when um yeah. the, the stage twists around. Yeah, that's see, one of my favorite bits. So like so, so they're they're clearly making fun of game show sketches. I actually mm-hmm. I have I have a um I actually have a Sean story. When I first started doing comedy, uh Sean I I took a class with Sean, the like level one improv. Right. And uh I ended up going through the uh, DC improv uh class courses. And um there was one time, I think it was a level two, where like we were doing a scene and um Someone had did a great uh, initiation of um, a uh, a homeless cookie monster, right? <laughs> and I, I, I was on stage, and I was trying to I was trying to trying to be in the scene, and uh, Sean was just like, "No, just act like there's a homeless cookie monster. Like, I, I just really act like cookie monsters homeless, and you're dealing with them. Like, go." Right, and I, I just uh, I didn't know what to do, or whatever. And then like Sean was just like, "You could be having so much fun right now," <laughs> and he pulled me off stage and did the scene himself. <laughs> and so I I, I, I think, sound
1: like an awful human being. <laughs> thank you, thank you very much. You're
2: terrible at <laughs> <in> comedy. <laughs> Quit.
4: I, I think about that too when like I'm writing or I'm watching something. Is like, like are are we having the most fun with this idea? Like, right, are, right, right. are you getting the most out of this idea? And right. I think Number Wang does this to a T. where it's like, like it plays up the absurdity, but like you said, it's focused. They could have been like, uh, whenever they said a number, it could have been like a an apple or something like that would pop on the screen, but they didn't. It's strictly numbers, and like we don't know what number Wang means, like why or or or, much less Wangernum, Wangernum, yeah, 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 Wangernum, right? Yeah, so like uh, that's what I feel like that that's having the most fun with this idea.
1: Don't you think this sketch is characteristically, quintessentially British humor in that? Can you? I is there an American analog? I mean, is there is there something that level of? of I can't think. Oh, that that kind of sketch can only work in British culture. We D- don't you think?
3: We don't do absurdity as well.
1: No, no.
2: Um, I mean, it obviously works here. We're all talking yeah, about it. We're, right, we're all but, fans. But, but I yeah. mean,
1: let's. I guess to the the general audience that would have end up watching it and you know and hopefully increasing the ratings mm. so the show would get picked up or, or, or continued.
4: There right? kind of needs but, to be like in like a, like a, an end game or like a, or an answer, or something like that. I feel like an American. Right. I think we yeah, think the comedy.
0: open-endedness of the what the hell is going on. Yeah, yeah.
3: basically, could we write something like that? Or has has American sketch comedy produced something like yeah, that? Yeah, I'm trying to think of the most. I mean, the it, state was kind of absurdist in that way, but not to the
1: degree that the British tend to be. You yeah. know, it's this I'm some thinking human about giant it. stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's
2: not sketch comedy, but wasn't there an episode of New Girl? Where they played a game in their living room oh, like True American. True American, where it was, you know, you were jumping on chairs and you had to like recite certain things or make historical references. Like it was not clear at all. Like oh, they yeah. all clearly yeah, knew yeah. what the rules were of this yeah. game, and the humor in it as an observer was just that, like not having any idea what's going on. Oh, right? that's
3: really interesting. I didn't yeah. I, I might have to go home and watch that. Yeah, but
2: it, it turned out to be this huge season. Okay. It, yeah, it turned out to be this huge, because it was so weird, there was all of this, you know, Reddit activity around people trying to, like, actually, s- like, suss out the rules for this game, and, like, here's the, how you can play it at home. The
4: difference is that, like, it, it was just, like, a a game that friends made, it was, it was a drinking game that right. friends made to, like, you know, get drunk or whatever, but, like, this is, like, a straight-up show, and just, like, an upper-class twit, it's just, like, a straight-up show, it's on TV, it's on, like, national TV, and, like... Everyone's on board with it, so mm-hmm. like that. That's what kind of uh really uh jumps out to me with this because I hate game shows, I hate format <laughs> sketches. Mm-hmm. But um, these two they, they, they make me laugh more than the yeah. normal one would.
1: It, um, you mentioned human giant Stella's another one, yeah, that's yeah,
0: very, yeah, centered, well, so and right. because those well, are that's in the guy's in the state, from the state. Yeah, 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 the guy's, guys from the state, so yeah, right? right. Um, Seth, yeah. can you talk about it? Uh, it looks like maybe you had something you want. Oh, no, so. no, 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 please. No, <laughs> I was, I wanted to. to here, we've talked about we talked about the atmosphere yeah. a lot and kind of the the game. Can you talk about the characters in it, both the contestants and Robert Webb's host?
3: The contestants uh, are both very serious about yeah. Number Wang. They're very serious, <laughs> and from everything we're led to believe, they're very skilled at Number Wang. Uh, it is a close game when Patterson-Joseph's character wins. Well, it's, it's interesting because it ties into a question you asked me on an earlier program about the acting in in a sketch. And in the in that particular episode, I was like, the acting wasn't very good. In this, the acting is very good. I, I believe <laughs> oh, that absolutely. they are contestants yeah. on this show. I believe Robert Webb is the host of this show mm-hmm. because he has that slightly smarmy, very enthusiastic game show thing, a game show host thing going yeah. for him. So I believe everybody in this situation, which is one of the things that sort of brings the absurdity into fresh relief because we recognize these characters. These are not strange characters. They are not at all weird. They are perfectly normal Mm -hmm. in a situation that none of us understand. Yeah.
2: Right. He has that incredible voice, too, that gives him such an edge in roles like that. Absolutely.
3: (sighs) Both of them have great voices, actually. Mm -hmm.
2: Both David Mitchell and
0: Robert Webb have great voices. I think think it's one of the things that I love about... I think you hit it on the head, and this will just end up sounding like I'm repeating what you're saying, but the seriousness with which they take the game or when they're trying to suss out that last question... One. one one and they're just like right. that, and they're tr- really trying to figure out what's happening with the game like right. they're trying to figure out exactly what the right answer is and this ended up being a recurring sketch where that was yep. interesting and not only did they do kind of the same number weighing setup a couple times right but they also had a couple of spin-off sketches of this and one of my favorites is like the uh the number weighing at home game <laughs> <laughs> and it came with like 26 volumes of massive, massive books, so you could look through and figure out if your number was number wang. <laughs> and again, you have no idea what number wang is. And the other great thing about this fake ad is that they're really on it about, and this is the only official way to play number wang. And will sue you
1: if you try to do it in any other way. No,
0: but you know, you, I th- you talk
1: about the acting, and that's something that, for, you know, to bring it back briefly to improv, and I swear yeah. I'll get out of here no, really no. quick. Please. But one, one of the, st- you probably remember this. From Your class. One of the one of the short form games I teach in my class is called Slow Mo, and the idea behind that is that you take an uh, a boring mundane chore or activity, and you instead turn that into a fake competition in which people are have at the world championships of dusting, the world championships of doing the dishes. And one of the things I often have to coach my students into doing is, is playing it real, commit to this. If you're, if you're, if you're the commentators, you are invested in this. You want to know the outcome. This is the actual world series, right? And if you're a contestant, if you win, you're really excited. Or if you lose, you know, you're, you're upset. You're, you're out of breath. The more committed you are to this piece of absurdity, the funnier it is but if you if you back off for a moment if you start winking to the audience and letting them know that oh we're just playing a little charades game up here their investment in the scene drops and and and, and no, nobody laughs at that so
0: I had a director in high school who had a teacher in high school, a theater teacher in high school who had us do this game.
4: Lars Van Trier.
0: It was Lars Van Trier. (laughs) (laughs) No. Uh. It was Christopher Shaler. (laughs) Um, Beck (laughs) Bennett. He um, had us do this exercise, which I think about all the time now, especially when, when acting and on stage or developing a character. He had us write down – he had us pick a task, something like brushing your teeth or making mm-hmm. a sandwich, and write down every step that goes into that process. And it makes you think – it really helps you get into that character. Mm-hmm. Something like making a sandwich where you talk about I open the drawer, I take the knife out, mm-hmm. I close the, door, the drawer. It's every single step, and that really helps you flush out and develop. Though, that kind of characterization helps you right. think about all the things that go into a character. Right. That's
3: how I got my current job. <laughs> because that's Wait, what I Wait, By making
2: do. sandwiches or no, describing how to describing make sandwiches? Describing how to
3: cook a meal, which included stuff like get the ingredients out, pour this here, put the cap back on, like that kind of thing, because that is how I write procedures at my job.
4: Oh, okay. that was also my writing job.
3: Yeah.
0: No, I'm okay. <laughs> no. <laughs> This uh, this sketch is often considered one of the best Mitchell and Webb sketches. Um, do we agree, EK?
2: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I well, I w- I will say that keeping in mind that I have not actually watched a ton of Mitchell and Webb. Um, <laughs> I, you have only watched enough for this podcast? <laughs> no, I mean, I, you know, I've, I've seen a couple of seasons of the shows, and I've seen, like, you know, pockets of all of their other stuff, and I've seen a lot of their work individually, but I have never sat there like, you know, all right, I'm going to go on a 12-hour bender of Mitchell and Webb and just I not come out until enough. the Mountain Dew uh-huh. and Cheetos are gone. <laughs> but... I mean, I I will say this one has a special place in my heart just because, um, you know, we even the Monty Python sketch we just talked about, like, this was sort of the first sketch that I was exposed to actually in the sketch writing class that I took with Julian. Yeah, I was gonna say where we met each other. You know, I'd never seen it before, and I, you know, it was kind of a revelation to me. I loved it. Um, And then, you know, you would you had brought up like PBS and that kind of that kind of reminded me like oh you know what actually like that mont like all that pbs comedy like monty python mm-hmm. faulty towers victor borga like mm-hmm. that's what i thought comedy was right, when i right, was a right. kid i yeah. had no exposure to anything else so I, I mean just the whole the whole thread of british comedy is you know i love it but yeah i, I think it's a phenomenal sketch i think yeah. it it actually does i'm i'm curious to come back to the point about why you think it's not good for someone learning to write comedy just because Unless it's, I mean, it is a little advanced in the sense that, like, yeah. if you don't know how to write, maybe you start with a Jeopardy! sketch to be like, this is a game show sketch, and this is, like, a game show sketch advanced.
4: Is that what you mean? No. Um. So, when we took that class, I didn't understand that it was expressed to us that this is a type of sketch. It's, it's popular among, like, SNL and all that stuff like that. Like, oh, this It's a long history. What... They showed us and then what I eventually, because I nerded out and was trying, because like this is my first, like, when we took a class, it was my, my first like real like, I'm a writer. So when I took your class, Sean, I'm like, I'm a writer, but I want to do comedy. Right. Uh, so uh, all my favorite comedians- uh, How did I mistreat improv. you that time? What did I say? <laughs> what, did I what did I do then? All my favorite comedians, they like, do improv, but I found out there's no sketch comedy. Suddenly there was, took a class, found a class with EK- and then we had the sketch number wang. And then I nerded out about it, went to New York, took classes there. And um, I realized that there's like a, a, a trope. There's a reason why there's a long history of game show sketches because it has a very set type. Mm-hmm. And number wang falls out of that type. And so like, I, that's, that, that's why I, like, it's a great sketch to show people who are wanting to learn sketch. Mm-hmm. But if you're teaching formats, it's not the one you want to show first.
2: Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. What we're seeing in, in both these sketches is sort of the, the sort of cl- the classic sort of br- post-war British absurd comedy that began with The Goon Show and Peter Sellers and uh, Harry Secombe and Spike Milligan. And then game went through Peter Cook and Beyond the Fringe. I, 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 Peter, you, you just wrote, oh, this no. just sounds like Seth. Like Seth, I am the I'm like, not rolling my eyes at you. I'm rolling my eyes at Seth. The pit P- stains are like P- just P-
4: swelling. P-
1: <laughs> Peter Cook is the funniest human being who ever lived. He took what the Goon Show was doing and sort of like made it even more absurd through Beyond the Fringe and things like that. Did you disagree or you? No, know? I, d- I totally Peter, agree. Did, 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 In fact, I, no, I mentioned I, that yeah. when I,
3: we did our Beyond the Fringe uh, sketch, which uh, <laughs> just happened the Fringe.
2: Yeah. When, when are we, we going couldn't whole... watch it. We can only hear it
4: right. because it was only audio. Right. 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 When are we going to we'll do a just...
2: whole Laurel and Hardy show? That... Can we do that? Oh, yes. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. All right. we...
0: <laughs> yes, we can. <laughs> All right. It's time for the end of the show. Sean, as the guest. Can you come up with a rating system for how we rate today's sketches?
1: Um, Yes, I can. Um, We're going to go with that popular uh, scale, the throat wobbler mangrove scale. Because as we know, it's these absurd names that have made and characterized a lot of British comedy and uh, cued us into uh, uh, the uppercastness of of some of the sketches that we were seeing today. or, Or that we listened to today. So it's a one to five scale. One being the lowest of mangroves. And five being the the highest, uh, the throat wobblingest of throat wobbling mangroves. Well,
0: why don't you start us mm. off then? How would you rate um, upper class Twitter of the year? I've, of course. I mean, I'm partial to that uh,
1: for all the reasons that I listed earlier, that, that I listed, that I list, because I list stuff. There's a whiteboard and I listed it. The, for, for, for the reason that I said earlier, that it's, uh, it combines all these wonderful things, it's sort of a, a, a touchstone for. British absurdity of humor, parody, physical comedy, verbal comedy. Um it's a it's a five. It's thro- five throat wobbler mangroves.
3: All right, Seth. Uh I would also like to give it five throat wobbler mangroves and add
4: a Raymond Luxury Yatch. <laughs> All right, Julian. I will be throat wobbled by five times by that sketch because while I liked it, I'm not sure it held up. <laughs> okay. 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 All right. You okay. Okay.
2: It's I'm gonna give it three throat wobblers and a. I just I just pulled up a list of super British names, and a uh, a Pip Torrens. Just because, you know, it's about as British as you can get. I, I think it's remarkable how well it translates, actually, to a group of Americans who are sitting here talking about it as a, as a comedy sketch. But yeah, I mean, if it, depending on how you want to look at it, whether it's through the lens of like, is it a social critique or is it potentially to what, to what Andy was getting at? Is it something a little... Maybe it's not quite clever enough to hold up today. I, you know, that's it's either three Throat Wobblers and a Pippa or, you know, two Throat Wobblers and a Nigel.
0: <laughs> All right. I, uh, I would give it four. And, uh, yeah, I you know, I, I thought I enjoyed this sketch. There by some Nigel or by? Throat Wobblers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then on to uh, Number Wang. Number Wang, I would give five. I love Number Wang. E.K.?
2: Yeah, number number Wang, I would give um, thirty seven point five throat wobblers. There we
4: go, <laughs>
2: yeah. Julian.
4: Um, I would give it six decimals throat wobblers because it was my first, and I got to say, after watching after tasting it again, I think it's I think, it, I think it holds up.
3: All right, Seth, I would give it one one. One.
4: One. (laughs) One.
0: Ah. One. Watch the sketch to get that reference. And, Sean, what
1: would you Um, give I would give it Avogadro's number, Ah. 6.02 times 10 to the 23rd, which is a lot higher than five, I think.
2: Very, very nice. Nice chemistry right?
1: Oh,
4: it's
2: the only one I have. You liked it better than your own sketch. (laughs) Yeah. No pie jokes there. And that's, that's, I did not see that coming. That's
1: low-hanging fruit, don't you think?
2: I, I mean, if we're talking about infinite decimal numbers and like infinite possibilities of what that ranking means. Mm. I don't know.
0: Thank you for joining us for another episode of Sketch Nerds. A special thanks to our guest, Sean Westfall, for being on today's show. Sean, where can our listeners find you? Uh, online. you th-
1: thank you for, for having me on it. I've enjoyed it immensely. You could uh, find uh, the Unified Scene Theater uh, online at unifiedscenetheater.com. You can find us on Twitter at unifiedscene.dc and also on Instagram at unifiedscene.dc.
3: And we also have a Facebook page, Unified Scene Theater. If you search that, you'll find that She can awesome. I would also like to mention that Sean does appear monthly with the Artless Bards at the Unified Scene Theater. What's the Artless Bards? Oh, that's that Shakespeare improv troupe that I keep talking about.
0: <laughs> ah, that's the
4: one. That are our listeners have explicitly said they don't care about you. I know <laughs> we keep getting the only thing we get
1: emails about
2: is for Seth to stop mentioning
1: <laughs> love the show for God's sake stop talking about the Shakespeare crap. love
2: Dave that also, might just be me no. assuming <laughs> 18 different uh, online identities okay. All right. <laughs>
4: also we uh, Badminton teaches a class at Unified Scene Theater mechanics of uh, sketch writing basically it's a day long sketch writing class um you can look up at their website. Maybe. I don't know. I actually don't know how. <laughs> yes, I, I, <laughs> I, I'm sure you know, can uh, find the website, <laughs> Julie. I, I don't know how promoting works. I,
2: I if you how? go into the Google machine. NASA. NASA. Just, just,
4: NASA, just edit this out. Okay.
2: Listeners, please like, share, and subscribe.
0: If you have a sketch you are interested in us breaking down, please send it to us. We'd love to do that. You can find out more about Sketch Nerds and Bad Medicine at badmedicinecomedy.com slash sketchnerds, where you can also find links to the sketches that we discussed today. You can find this podcast and previous episodes wherever you get your podcasts. For Sean Westfall, Seth Alcorn, Julian Morgan, and Elizabeth E K Kemp, I'm Andy Weld. Thanks for listening to Sketch Nerds. This episode was produced by Isaiah Hedden and recorded
4: in Washington, D.C., The closing music tracks were provided by Soundtrackforeverything.com. All clips in this podcast were used in compliance with the U.S. Copyrights Act, Fair Use Exemption, for criticism and commentary. The Sketch Nerds podcast is brought to you by the sketch comedy group Bad Medicine, DC's best sketch comedy about the worst of humanity. For showtimes, videos, and funny t-shirts, please visit badmedicinecomedy.com.